I will tell anyone now, like life is short. Like if you're working long hours and doing something that doesn't make you happy anymore, it's not fulfilling. Like you could get a diagnosis any day. Like I, I didn't know what my outcome was going to be. I, I'm one of the lucky ones. And it the change has been life changing in another way for me. So I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Welcome to Plot Twist, the podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Page. I'm a recovering reporter turned podcaster, here to share the plot twists in people's lives and their motivational stories that will inspire us all to live life to the fullest. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to my guest, Melissa Stern. After months of chemo, a double mastectomy, and radiation, Melissa can now call herself a breast cancer survivor. Since then, she's married the love of her life and switched careers from TV news to corporate communications. We talk about all of this in today's episode, including how battling cancer changed her perspective on life and her advice to others who've received a scary diagnosis. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So your plot twist was unintentional. It happened in 2020. You received a scary diagnosis. If you could talk about that. Sure. So I had felt a lump in my right breast in August of 2019. And I went to my gynecologist and I was basically told it's probably nothing. You're young. Don't worry about it. I was 30 years old. But he he gave me a form and said, here, you can go get a mammogram or an ultrasound for peace of mind. And I remember that was the exact words he used, like for peace of mind. So I was like, okay, I don't think it's that big of a deal. So let the holidays pass. And then February rolled around and the lump wasn't going away. I was really concerned. So I ended up taking the sheet and going and getting a mammogram and an ultrasound. And that's when they told me I needed to get a biopsy and ultimately discovered that I had stage 2A invasive ductal carcinoma. I was, I think I had turned 31 the week before. And literally like the next few weeks were a whirlwind. I was working in television news. So I was, you know, when I got the the call after the biopsy, they actually called me while I was in the newsroom and one of my coworkers saw me kind of break down and like pulled me aside and was like, what's going on? And I told her the news and my assistant news director was basically like, can you drive home? Do you want someone to take you home? So I immediately had to go through the egg freezing process because a lot of people don't know that chemo can cause infertility. So I, you know, was waiting a few weeks to start my chemo so I could at least do at least one round of IVF, which I did. And then in the midst of that, the world shut down, everyone was like working from home. And you know, everyone was like, COVID-19, you're just starting to hear about the pandemic, like really taking off. So I started working from home and was trying to get used to this new normal of my diagnosis, but then get used to this new normal of the pandemic. So froze my eggs, pandemic hit, started chemo like two weeks later. So it was an interesting month, to say the least. Yeah, that sounds very overwhelming because it's scary to to get that type of diagnosis. But then during COVID with everything shutting down and everyone's already afraid of getting sick. So I imagine having that diagnosis, you were probably even more terrified and probably tried to stay indoors, stay safe, stay away from people. Absolutely. Well, everyone was working from home at that point. So like it wasn't that weird to be 
you know, covering stories from my living room, but I would only leave for doctor's appointments. And I feel like it was so new that we didn't exactly know how the virus worked. I mean, we still don't know exactly how it works. But at that time, you know, I was scared. They were saying, if you're immunocompromised, don't don't leave. So I was in my one bedroom apartment at the time. And I would go downstairs to like get my mail and stuff that I would wear like gloves or like bring like a Lysol wipe and like a mask. And I was just I wouldn't get in the elevator with other people. And I was just so terrified of leaving. Yeah. And then obviously, Obviously, having to go to doctor's appointments and stuff, you're also putting yourself at risk because obviously there's other people getting chemo in the same room and there's plenty of people in the hospital. The good news is, though, like when you're in a cancer building, so to speak, a, you know, a wing of the building, all of those people are also in fear for their lives. So I feel like everyone around you was trying to take as many precautions as possible. But I mean, it's still very scary. And your husband, who was your boyfriend at the time, was actually taking care of you throughout all of this? Yeah. So when I initially got diagnosed back in February, the world hadn't shut down yet. So my dad actually flew in. He's a doctor and he flew in to get the diagnosis with me, which is why what I mentioned earlier that I actually got a phone call about the diagnosis, which is pretty unusual. They make you come in, but my dad had called them as a physician and said, can you just call me and like, let us know. But they had to let me know before they let him know because he wasn't going to fly in if it was nothing. So they were kind of doing us a courtesy. But anyway, so my dad flew in to get the diagnosis with me and could kind of explain it in layman's terms. And then he flew home and, you know, I kind of went through next steps, but then the world shut down and my parents were like, well, obviously we want to come, but like, we don't want to put you in danger by flying or like, you know, coming up during a pandemic, like their concern from for my safety at that point. So my boyfriend at the time, Jordan, basically came with me to every doctor's appointment. He would bring me whatever I needed. Obviously, if I was going through chemo, there were times where you know I couldn't get out of bed or do certain things. So he just made sure that I was taken care of. But yes, I, I don't live in that apartment anymore. We, we bought a house. We're married now. But yes, he was pretty much my sole caregiver the entire time. Oh, yeah. And you said a lot's happened since then, which we'll get into that. Yeah. But being a TV news reporter, you're used to telling other people's stories, but you actually ended up telling your own story. So what was that like? I decided that, you know, I had a unique opportunity being a news reporter going through what I was going through to share my story and maybe help other people. And so I told my newsroom, like, I'd really like to do a series and, you know, explain to people what I'm doing every day. And just just so people going through it after me would know what to expect. And I know most people are you know, not public like that, or want to remain private with things they're going through. So I thought having an intimate look might give people a view from the other side, so to speak, that they would normally not get. So my newsroom was very supportive, and they agreed to cover it. We did one story, but then... <laughs> You know, when we were short staffed after the pandemic hit and then, you know, just having like all the protests and stuff broke out too at that time, there was just a crazy amount of news going on. We were short staffed. So we didn't actually do a series. We ended up doing one story, which was still very impactful. I got tons of emails from people around the country and just being like, thank you for sharing your story. I'm going through something similar or my daughter's going through something similar. And it really helped me, you know, seeing the resources that you provided because I kept a full blog too. So although we did one actual news story, I, I continued my blog through the 
end of treatment so people could follow that. But yeah, so one of the reporters and a photographer actually came to my apartment my first day of chemo and kind of filmed me getting ready. And they weren't allowed in the hospital, obviously, because of COVID. So they filmed us like going into the hospital and stuff. And I just took some pictures and videos while I was inside. I was always telling people stories. So and I was I feel like you know, some people think like the media or news reporters are like a little bit like intrusive, so to speak, but I'm a pretty open book. And I had no problem sharing my story. And I was just trying to tell it the way that I expected, you know, the people that I interviewed to tell their stories, I just wanted to make sure that something positive, so to speak, was coming out of this, and that there would be a silver lining, if I could help one other person, then the interview would be worth it. And so you were going through treatment, radiation, and all of this while you were working as a TV news reporter? That's correct. Um, I went through chemo and obviously I was working from home. They were very gracious with me. And, you know, either the photographer would go shoot something and I would put it together at home. I did not leave my apartment during that six month period while I was getting chemo. And then I actually took two months off of work. I had to get a double mastectomy. And obviously that's a major surgery. And so I was off for a couple weeks. And then I came back and started working full time but I had to go through radiation every day for, I want to say two months. So once I returned to work, I would stop at the hospital in the morning, get radiation and then go into work. And that oh, was wow. Monday through Friday. Yep. Every single day. I want to say until Thanksgiving. I, I really don't remember exactly the timeline, but it, I know it was either around Thanksgiving or maybe Christmas. It was one of the holidays that I remember going home, being finished with everything. I imagine that's a lot on your body just to go through the radiation. And then also being a reporter, it's a very demanding job. It is a very demanding job. And I had last like 80% of my hair. So I was wearing my hair how I could with a headband. So it was pretty obvious that I didn't look the same as I did previously. I actually even had an anchor from a competitor station reach out and said, you know, I saw you on air, you look beautiful in your headband, I looked you up and I saw what happened, like kudos to you for, you know, fighting and continuing on and being on live TV, you know, going through what you're going through. So I really appreciated that email. But yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of strange going through it so publicly. And it was tough. Like, sorry, I always, <laughs> I always get emotional when I talk about it. Yeah, like having to go through radiation and then kind of like snap out of it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in the hospital, I'm laying there, there, you know, there's all these machines and you know, doing it every morning and then kind of snapping out of it and like putting it in the back of your mind, like I have a job to do and then going to report for the day. And I have a live shot. I think I send you a screenshot of it. It was when all the protests were happening around election time, uh, November of 2020. And there were like, thousands of people packed downtown and we had a security guard and a photographer and I just thought it was so weird that <laughs> I'm like fighting for my life like internally like you know trying to survive breast cancer but now I have like a security guard with me at work <laughs> you know during all the protests so it's kind of a strange like <laughs> I don't know I definitely had some thoughts where like oh my god I'm gonna survive breast cancer and like get injured at one of these protests from one of these crazy people. The happy part about your story is actually that you can now say that you're a survivor. That is true. Yeah, I would say I consider myself a survivor right after surgery because my double mastectomy was successful. They said that the chemo had, there was ba barely any cancer left when they took out 
you know, all the breast tissue and stuff and the chemo had worked. So all the medication and everything like that was successful. And then they just did radiation after the surgery, just to be sure, you know, I was 31 years old, I'm young, I think there's something like less than 4% of people get breast cancer under the age of 40. It's like super rare to get it at my age. I shouldn't say super rare, but rarer. Usually women are over the age of 40. So yeah, I I consider myself to be uh, in remission. And I go see my oncologist like every six months now, about two years out. And I emcee a lot of events. And I, I'm very vocal. And I if anyone asks me to be a part of their, you know, nonprofit, or if they're having a conversation surrounding, you know, breast cancer or anything I went through, I'm always like the first one to sign up and say, hey, like, let me know how I can be helpful. And I've done that several times at this point, because I think sharing my story will help other people or at least give them, you know, some idea of what to expect or give them hope that, you know, you can be okay, that there can be a happy ending. And why do you think it's so important that people do advocate for their health? Like if I had listened to that initial doctor, my gynecologist at the time who said it's probably nothing, I don't blame him. I know it's unusual for someone my age and it could be benign. It could be anything. But I think if there is something there, it doesn't hurt to go get checked out. It doesn't hurt to get a second opinion because you never know. And if you wait, it could be too late. So, you know, listen to what your doctors are saying. Obviously, they're the experts, but nobody knows your body better than you. And you are your own best advocate. And I tell people that all the time. If there is, you know, a thought in the back of your mind that something could be wrong, or there's a weird feeling in your gut, like follow your intuition, because I mean, no one else is going to do that for you. So yeah, it doesn't hurt to get that second opinion just in case. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about what your advice is for someone who gets a scary diagnosis, kind of like what you got? What's your advice to them on, on how, how to handle that? Maybe first steps, what to do? Because I imagine it can be very overwhelming and you could feel like your head's just spinning or like the whole world's spinning. That's exactly what it's like. And it is overwhelming and it's it's almost like difficult to comprehend, which is why I was thankful that my dad was there when I got like the, the first diagnosis, because you know, in movies when like someone's talking and like someone starts thinking about it and they blur out in the background. And so you can hear like noise, but you can't make out what they're saying. And then they call your name and you like come to like, that's like literally what I felt like in doctor's offices. I would be like, Melissa, Melissa. And I'd be like, what, sorry, what'd you just say? Because so many thoughts are going through your head and you're just trying to digest the information that they just gave you. And it is hard to consume that information. But my advice would be to make sure you have a good support system and don't be afraid to reach out for help. There were so many times where people were like, maybe you should, you know, talk to a therapist or, you know, reach out to other people who have gone through similar things and, you know, maybe join some of the groups of you know, where people are, you know, going through breast cancer too. But I didn't end up doing a lot of those things because I have a very strong support system. My family was there for me. I spoke to them every day when they couldn't be here with me. My doctors were amazing. And I just, I felt like everything I needed, I had. And I know not everybody has that same opportunity and not everybody has that support system. But I say, you know, even if you have one person who you can, you know, talk to or lean on or I I think it makes a world of difference being able to, you know, have people you love and people that love you around you and, and make sure that you're doing okay, even during your darkest days. Yeah, well, that's good to hear that you had such a great support system. And now a couple years after it happened, you actually got married to Jordan, who had taken care of you through the whole journey and process. 
Yeah, I can't say I, I didn't have thoughts at the beginning, like, oh, great, like, we've been dating a year, like, <laughs> this is totally going to tear us apart. But um, it didn't it actually it made us stronger. And I always joke, like, we have this in sickness and in health part down. But yeah, the day before I was starting radiation, he proposed, I was pretty much I was done with surgery and chemo at that point. But like, you never know, like, what could happen after that. But yeah, we got married this past March. And it's been amazing. I just, you know, I'm so thankful thankful that I had Jordan because I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have had to go home like to my hometown in Florida and move back in with my parents and quit my job if, if he wasn't around. And so you were a TV news reporter and you've transitioned. So can you talk about why you made the choice to leave TV news? Sure. Yeah. So after going through everything, obviously, cancer changes you. I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was before I was diagnosed. It's a very long treatment process. And it just makes you, you know, reconsider what's important in life and reconsider your priorities and things like that. And I just decided that I, you know, was tired of working long hours and getting low pay and working holidays and weekends and having to cover like very dangerous things and having a security guard with me or whatever it was at the time. And I just thought, you know, I want to spend every moment that I can of my free time with my family and my friends and doing the things that I truly enjoy doing. Obviously, I work full time still now, but in a different capacity where, you know, I can not be on call 24 seven, I can turn off my phone. And I really feel like I have more freedom and flexibility to do what I love to do. And, and that's what's most important to me. And I will tell anyone now, like life is short, like if you're working long hours and doing something that doesn't make you happy anymore, it's not fulfilling, like you could get a diagnosis any day. Like I, I didn't know what my outcome was going to be. I, I'm one of the lucky ones. And it the change has been life changing in another way for me. So I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. You know, I just want to enjoy life to the fullest, you know, like I want to do what makes me happy. And I don't work holidays. I don't work weekends. <laughs> I start in the morning at nine o'clock. And when five o'clock rolls around, I'm done for the day. There's no more, you know, breaking news, live shots. And I think the last straw for me, I, I remember standing for a live shot in like a busy intersection on the story about like the water boys. I don't know if you ever heard about that in Atlanta, but there was a lot of like controversy. There were young boys selling water water. But some people felt it was super dangerous that they were like in the street and they could get hit by a car. And other people were like, well, they're entrepreneurs and they're not selling drugs, like let them do it. So it was like a big deal. But I had to do a live shot for that story. And it was pouring down rain. So no one was even out there. There was no one selling water. There was nothing to show. And I thought it was like kind of pointless to be out there in the pouring rain. But of course, I was told just do it. And I did it. <laughs> And I was soaking wet. And I was like, why am I out here? Like, this is not what I want to be doing. So that's when I think I really made the decision like, all right, I want to find something where I can be comfortable. I, you know, there's a bathroom nearby. If I have to go to the bathroom, I don't have to stand in the pouring rain. I can actually have a lunch break, things like that. I just wanted to take care of myself. I didn't want to, you know, be put in any situations any longer after, you know, going through treatment and coming out on the other side. And what are you doing now? I'm the director of corporate communications for AHOA. It stands for the Asian American Hotel Owners Association. It's basically an association that advocates and provides resources to hotel owners across the United States. And I do all their internal and external communication. Oh, that's awesome. It's always fun to see what former reporters are now doing because there's just so many different options and different directions that reporters can go in. 
Absolutely. And I always like, I look in all the Facebook groups as I'm sure you're in as well. Um, and I always tell people, if you need anything, let me know. People send me the resumes all the time. And I tell them like how their skills translate. You can do anything after being a news reporter is what I would tell people. It's like, I feel like in a newsroom, everyone has the same skill set, kind of like everyone's good communicators and you're all working towards, you know, the same thing, so to speak, but not everyone is in the communications world, there's so many things you can do out there and bringing your expertise to any type of association is important and useful. And, you know, I, I would recommend any reporter looking to leave the field to really look at what they want to do and then find, you know, the communications aspect of that company, because you learn so many skills in a newsroom. And I, I hope that any journalist looking to find something else to do knows that they're, they're valued outside of news. Yeah, because it can be scary to, to leave something you've known or that you've wanted to do your whole life to try something new. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I did. I was a reporter for 10 years. And it's the only thing I'd ever done. I'd never really sat at a desk before I worked out of a news car for 10 years. I didn't really know what to expect. But because of the pandemic, it was it kind of like ripped the bandaid off. Like I feel like not just me, but a lot of people were looking for a change and they were they were forced to make a change. And it was just kind of a time in in everyone's life where they were like, all right, let me let me figure out what I'm going to do next. Because you know, this is a perfect opportunity. People were working remotely. I, I worked completely remotely for the new company um, for the first year that I worked there. It's like a hybrid model now. But even so, it's like you get so much more of your life back not having to commute and things like that. So I was nervous to make the change. I will tell you that I, I would talk to my family and be like, am I making the right decision? Am I giving up on something? But ultimately, if I could go back and do it again, I would. Well, I'm good to hear that everything's worked out for you. What is some advice that you have for someone looking to make a big change? I would say do what makes you happy, you know, reach out to your network and do some soul searching and really just decide what makes you happy, what you want to do. And if whatever you're currently doing isn't serving you any longer, make a change. I know I always hear people say, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, but sometimes it really is. And you just have to weigh the pros and cons and really look within on, on what makes the most sense for you. And you can't let anybody tell you what that decision is going to be. You can always ask people for advice and get, you know, all the pieces to the puzzle ahead of time to make sure that you're making the best possible decision. But ultimately, it's up to you to make that decision. And I say go for it. I mean, nothing's permanent. And if you leave something or you try something new and it doesn't work, you can always go back. Don't burn any bridges or make another change. Find something else until you do find that thing that, that you like. And yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think it hurts to, to try new things. Yeah, that's something I had to tell myself was when I left news, I could always go back. It's not a permanent choice where I can never go back to news again if I try something different. So like you said, doesn't hurt to at least try, see if you like it. If you don't, you can always go back to what you're comfortable with. Absolutely. And I've spoken to many people who have left the business who say they don't ever think about going back now. They couldn't even imagine going back. So and then another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, you said that you're on the board of directors for Team Maggie's Dream. So I had never heard of that organization. So I imagine maybe other people haven't as well. So if you could share what that is so that people can help support it. 
Absolutely. I would love to talk about that. I actually ran in their 5k yesterday. But as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I had to go through fertility treatment because a lot of people don't realize that chemo can affect fertility. So if you're under a certain age, and you're about to go through cancer treatment, Team Maggie for Cure, Team Maggie's Dream goes by either name, they provide financial assistance to young adults who want to go through fertility preservation. A lot of people don't realize that fertility preservation is often not covered by insurance, and it is extremely, extremely expensive. So I did one round, and I, I looked for every grant that I could possibly get. So T Maggie's Dream, you know, provided a grant for me to, for the actual egg retrieval, but I also got another grant through other organizations for the cost of the medication. So I would say I, for one round, if I had to pay out of pocket, could have easily been $20,000 for just one round. So imagine people that go through several rounds. Um, It's extremely expensive. And so I did one round of that took about two weeks, I had like an entire box of medications. And then I went through the retrieval. But I was so thankful that team magazine had given me a grant because you have to pay up front for retrieval. Like, so if you can't pay for it, you're literally having to make a decision of whether you want to start treatment to save your life and basically giving up the dream of having a family potentially because if it impacts your fertility, you might not ever be able to have kids. But like we talked about before, you're in this whirlwind of emotions and all this craziness going on, you don't really have time to think about that. You're like, hmm, should I put off chemo right now? Because I, you know, want to have a hypothetical kid one day, like you're not thinking like that. So having an organization like Team Maggie's Dream to be able to provide financial assistance, you don't have to make that decision, you can just have the money, you can get it done. And you just have peace of mind while you're going through treatment, like, oh my gosh, if I'm going through this, I could potentially not be able to have kids like that's just like another word to add on top of everything else. And it's just, you know, I just think Team Magazine is so amazing that they do that because there's nothing to my knowledge out there like that. And the founder, Mary, is so amazing. She created this association, like single-handedly, this nonprofit, because her daughter went through chemo at age 24 and there was no financial assistance for her. And so she started Team Maggie's Dream. And it's just so amazing what she's grown it to. I think it was started in 2015 and I'm on the board now. And I was so you know, humbled when she asked me if I wanted to be on the board, because now I'm helping make the decisions of, you know, who qualifies for the grant and how much money they should get for other people going through similar treatment like I went through. Yeah, it's amazing to see, like you said, you're on the board, you said you've talked to different people, different places. So I think it's amazing that you are sharing your story, because I think it'll help a lot of people. I hope so. That's the goal. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for being on this podcast and talking with me. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I think we covered most of it. I mean, obviously, I have plenty of stories to share. So, you know, people can reach out to me or if they hear this and they want someone to talk to, like, I'm always willing to be that person for anybody. Life is short and Melissa reminds us just how important it is to live life to the fullest and do what you want while you're healthy because that can change in an instant. You can find Melissa's contact info in the show notes of this podcast. I'll also include a link to Melissa's news story she did about her cancer journey while at CBS 46 News, as well as a link to Maggie's dream. While battling cancer, Melissa wrote blog posts about her experience, which she shared with me. You can view the blog posts on my website, plottwiststory.com. Just click on the Stories tab. There you can also learn more about Melissa and see photos from her cancer journey. 
I want to know how this podcast is helping change your life. I've heard from one listener named Alex. He says he was inspired by the episode with Parker McCotchkins, my brother, where he talked about his weight loss. Alex says the episode is helping him on his own weight loss journey. He says it was inspiring to hear from Parker that it's okay to take things slow and make small changes at a time towards better habits. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at plottwiststory at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook or Instagram at plottwiststory. I'd also appreciate it if you rated and reviewed this podcast on Apple or Spotify. It really helps me out and helps more people find out about the podcast. And before I go, I want to give a quick shout out to my husband, Christian. I don't think I've mentioned it before, but he actually created the music for my podcast. I was stressing out about finding music that was copyright free. So he grabbed his guitar and said, why don't I create a song for you? So thank you, Christian, for being so supportive of my podcast. If you have a plot twist story you'd like to share, email me. Again, my email is plottwiststory at gmail.com. And until the next episode, remember... It's your story. Feel free to hit them with a plot twist whenever you want.